So if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to open them up. Also, we have some notes there for you on the table. Uh, we are starting our study in the book of Leviticus. Uh, it's also called Baikra, uh, which is, and he called out. This uh, first section in our uh, reading for this week is going to cover Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 7. Now, I'm going to depart a little bit from how I've, I've been doing this, trying to cha- uh, chase through a lot of the text itself. <clears throat> we are going to cover that, but I want to share some things that are more thematic uh, and set things up as we study the book of Leviticus. Anybody here ever studied the book of Leviticus before? Besides, okay. Oh, good. Awesome. A lot of people, when uh, you talk about we're going to study the book of Leviticus, they just kind of go, oh. As a matter of fact, I had my teeth cleaned this week. And, you know, they always want to talk to you while they got their hands in their mouth, right? And they can't ask, they, don't, they never ask you a question with just an uh-huh or uh-uh answer, you know? And so they're working away, and uh, she goes, uh, so what's new in your life? And I went, <laughs> you know, okay. Uh, so I just, you know, we're raising sheep. Yeah, I just, you know, was trying to keep it simple and she's still working away. And I guess because of my beard, cause it is white. Uh, she goes, so are you fully retired? And I went, oh no, I'm not. And she goes, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a preacher. I don't know how many times she's seen me. She goes, did I know that? And I said, well, I, I thought so. So then she just wouldn't let it go. You know, she, and she goes, so what are you preaching on? I said, well, I'm trying to keep it generic. I'm trying to keep, I just need to get my teeth clean. I got to go back and deal with the sheep. I said, um, starting on Leviticus. Oh, <laughs> yeah, don't go there. <laughs> so she goes, well, give me the gist of it. I said, um, hmm. I said, well, you know, it's got all the sacrifices in there. You know how Jesus, Yeshua, you know, fulfilled the sacrifices and everything. And she goes, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Because, you know, you got the old covenant and then you got the new covenant. You got all those old laws. Now we got the new law. And I just went, really? I went, no, no, <laughs> wrong. And so I started saying some things to her. And then all of a sudden, you know, the preacher came out. Uh, <clears throat> and then the dentist came in and he goes, I'm getting the tail end of a very interesting conversation, aren't I? And I'm like, yeah, you are. And she looks up at him. She goes, all I did was ask him a question. <laughs> That's usually my line. Um, anyway, uh, when you start talking about Leviticus, a lot of people kind of freeze up and they're like, well, that's kind of weird and it's very logistical and there's all these details and all these sacrifices and just all this stuff in there. Well, it's really powerful. Let me share some things with you. Number one, almost 40% or 40% plus of all of the 613 laws that they've codified in the Torah are found in Leviticus. It is the central book of the first five books. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. The first two books are very historical. 
Genesis, the beginning. You got creation. You got Adam and Eve in the garden. You got the, the whole Genesis 3 problem. And then Genesis 6, you know, with all the watchers and all that weird stuff going on. You end up having Noah uh, and the flood. Then, then all of a sudden, you've got, uh, you know, you got the Tower of Babel event, and God changes everybody's languages and confuses everything because of how bad it gets. And then we come up with Abraham, and God starts this movement with Abraham, and he's going to have a nation that's going to be his nation, and he's going to use them to proclaim who he is. Then they end up going into Egypt, and then we have the book of Exodus, which is Shemot, which is the names. These are the names that went into Egypt. And then we've got the whole Egypt story in the great Exodus, you know, coming out, you know, with Charlton Heston and Moses. And, and you know, they crossed the Red Sea and, and, and all of that, which we just finished. And we end up with God instructing Moses, and they're going to build the tabernacle. They built the tabernacle and, and all that stuff consecrating everything, and then God calls out to Moses. Moses couldn't get into the tabernacle. Why? Because the glory of God was there. Now we're at Leviticus, the central focus point of the Torah. After that, we'll get into Numbers, which there's a lot more historical stuff in there. And then we'll go to Deuteronomy, which is, hallelujah, the cliff notes. I love cliff notes. Deuteronomy is the retelling of the Torah and, and their events, uh, the Torah, the story, uh, and God's laws and rules and regulations and a lot of those things, and even some prophecies about the end of time. Leviticus does have all of this stuff, watch this, on how the people of God were to be able to draw near to God who was now going to reside among them. This is beyond anything the world had ever seen. The creator of the universe says, okay, and as we march through some of these thematic things, you're going to hopefully see how this is massive. And you talk about a logistical, for us, nightmare? How does a holy God, pure, the creator of the universe, come down here on this earth and dwell among, if you will, stinking sheep <laughs> and not get any of the stink on him? I'm picking up one of those brand new lambs, you know, that we're bottle feeding. And that part is fun, except, you know, for the, when it's the fourth feeding. You know, but when you're out there and they just come running at me like I'm mama. They, I'm their world. Renee and I, we are mama. You know, and so they come and I'm, I'm holding one. I'm picking it up and I'm going, yeah, you're starting to smell like a sheep. <laughs> it's amazing how they just have that smell. But you have to relate that to a tainted world on a tainted earth that's tainted by sin and the pure creator of the universe is going to come and he's going to cause his presence to reside there among them. And he's going to require them to come before him and worship him. And at the same time, 
not become contaminated with our sin. I.e., a sacrificial system. Okay? This might surprise you, but in most Orthodox communities, a child at the age of five starts off his learning with Leviticus. Yeah. Uh, If a child can start off learning Leviticus at five, surely we can glean something out of it. Amen? (laughs) Uh, And they still do that to this day. So uh, it is very important. Uh, There are tons of details in here. I'm going to try to not get too caught down into that minutia as much as sharing what's really going on how Yeshua fulfilled some of these things, uh, and we'll, we'll march through it. But it, it's real important that we look at some of these things so that we understand what this book is all about and what are some of the themes we need to be looking for because we're learning how to read our Bible in... We're going to read our Bible in context. Context is king. It rules everything. You have to read your Bible in context and you got to stop listening to sermon sound bites. You got to you have to read your Bible in context or you can make a sound bite say anything. It's called fake news. It's also called fake doctrine, which is out of the pit of hell. Um, that's the devil's tactic to keep you and I off track in knowing what's really going on. So um, reading it in context also means understanding the theme of the book and what's going on and what's going on around it and what are some of the major issues in that book. So I've already shared some of that with you, but let's start looking at this. In Leviticus 1, verse 1, and I've got this actually in your notes today in a couple of different versions, just simply because it was a little bit easier to read um, and to help uh, make sense of what's going on. So in verse 1 it says, And Yehovah called to Moshe. That's where it gets the name. He called him out. He called to him to come. He called to him and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying... <clears throat> so this is where it gets its title of, uh, And he called... Folks, God is calling to us today to draw near to Him. Amen? Here's something that we're going to see as we march through this. God's a God of mercy and love, but He's a holy God. So when we draw near to Him, we do not draw near to Him on our terms. Ever. You do not draw near to a holy God on your terms. You just, you just don't do it. Uh, it's because he's holy. And so he lays it out. He wants us to draw near to him. This is, the, this is the event that this nation's been waiting for. They're birthed into a nation. They build a tabernacle. Think of it as their capital. It's the focal point of who they are. And their king, God, is going to come down and reside in it in their midst. And in that place is that covenantal contract, the covenant of witness 
that's in the Holy of Holies. And he's going to reside there and all of their feasts, all of their festivals, everything is going to revolve around that tabernacle, the priestly system, the sacrifices, everything is going to revolve around that. The judicial system, worship, banking, everything is going to revolve around that tabernacle. So it's important, right? And it's, this is now the unfolding of this. And now God's going to say, okay, it's here. Now, you're my chosen people. Marched you through the Red Sea. Cool as that was. We had the Mount Sinai event. You guys got a little carried away. We had the golden calf thing. You know, kind of dealt with that. Now we're here. It's now been a year. But I want you to come near. But here's how you do it. Okay, so now let's look at just a few of these things, and then we're going to start looking at a few of these themes in here. <clears throat> so in verse 2, it says, he, so in verse 1, he says, He called to Moses, spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to Yahweh, you bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, or the flock. I want you to notice something, and I highlighted it there for you. It says, When? We're going to see here in just a second, there are times when he says, if. But here he's saying, when you bring your offering to God. When you come before God, you don't come empty-handed. Today we don't. We come before him at least with the sacrifice, what, of the fruit of our lips, proclaiming his name and his goodness, amen? Amen. We'll get to that here in a second. But it says, when you bring your offering, when you bring it, this is not optional. These are his chosen people. And he goes, this is how you come before me. And when you come, don't come empty-handed. Huh. Still, it's still true today, folks. We need to give him our heart, and we need to give him the best of everything that we have. What does that say about us bringing him our broken down, wore out junk, leftovers? He talks about that when he says, how dare you bring me your lame, weak, and um, not prime, if you will, livestock and gifts. What What are you doing bringing me this junk? It's emblematic of the heart. It shows what's going on in the heart. So when we come, we're supposed to bring the best we've got to God. Doesn't He deserve it? We're going to have to go to school again, aren't we? All right, so if I ask a question, that means it's okay to respond. So doesn't He deserve our best? Y'all, I'm going to remind you, this is being recorded, by the way. It's out there on the Internet. <laughs> so he deserves our best. But now look what it says now in the very next sentence, the very next uh, verse here in verse 3. It says, if his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him bring a male, a perfect one. Let him bring it at the door of the tent of meeting for his acceptance before Yahovah. So here's what happens, and you'll see this 
through here. If you'll continue to read here in the book of Leviticus, you're going to see when he says, okay, when you come and you bring such and such an offering, and then he starts giving some details. And then he says, if this is the case, then this is what you do. If this is the case, then this is how you handle it. If you are poor, this is how you handle it. If this is what has happened, this is what, how you handle it. It's not if you should bring one or not. You see the difference? Because he says, when you bring this, this is what you do. And if you're bringing an offering from the herd, <clears throat> Uh, let him bring a male, a perfect one. Let him bring it to the door of meeting for it's his acceptance before Yahovah himself. So there's this distinction and you're going to continue to see this thing as it kind of unfolds with all these different sacrifices. You'll see this fairly often where he says, when you do this, this is what's happening. Now then, if this occurs, this is how you're supposed to do this. If this is your situation, then this is how you're supposed to do this. And you know why God did that? Because we're just cheap. And he's covering every base imaginable to help us understand exactly what he wants us to do. Let's go on and look at this. I want to jump ahead into Leviticus chapter 4 because there's a lot of details from chapter 1 to chapter 4 on all these different sacrifices. And you feel free to go back and look at those. I, I really believe that you should. But I want to get into some of these other issues in here. So in Leviticus chapter 4, starting with verse 4 through 7, it says, And he shall bring the bull to the door of the tent of meeting before Yahovah, and shall lay his hand on the bull's head, and slaughter the bull before Yahovah. And the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood, and bring it to the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before Yahovah in front of the veil, of the set-apart place. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of the sweet incense before Yahovah, which is in the tent of meeting. And pour all of the blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tent of meeting. Now let's talk about this for a second. <clears throat> this is describing the sin offering. You've committed some kind of sin you really don't, you didn't know it at the time, but it became known to you. And as a matter of fact, all the, all the time you'll see that in here of this unintentional sins. You don't find this is what you do when you intentionally sin. It's unintentional. I think that's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll want to, in other words. But we need grace and mercy, right, to fill in the gaps. Because we have a lot of gaps. Uh, and so this is dealing with the sin offering. And the first thing I want you to see here, and I underlined it for you. <laughs> so the person that's bringing this has to put his hand on, on the head of the animal. The animals that are allowed to be sacrificed in this sacrificial system are cows, Sheep, whether male or female, goats, male or female, uh, doves and pigeons. All very domesticated and, if you will, docile, except for maybe my ram. But 
you know, <clears throat> domesticated. Uh, they're, in other words, they're not predatory animals. Um, <clears throat> and when you commit a sin and it becomes known to you and you're trying to fix this because you have to go into the temple from time to time, and because this is what God has commanded, and we're going to get into some of the reasons why in just a second, <clears throat> one of the things you have to do is that you have to put your hand on its head and watch and help this animal die because of what you did. You don't get to pay somebody to go do this for you. You have to get personally involved. The only way for this to get fixed for what you did, you got to get personally involved in this. I was tore up enough when one of our sheep died in the lambing process. I can't imagine having to come before God and my fellow Israelites that found, you know, that revealed to me I did something wrong and I've got to make it right. And I'm listening and looking at this animal. They're just looking up at you like, and when are you going to feed me? What's going on? And now there's blood everywhere. Because of what I did. That kind of changes things, doesn't it? You literally have to put your hand on that animal and know that God is going to <clears throat> fix this immediate problem at the life of this innocent animal. And this innocent animal's blood is going to be taken into the holy place, not the most holy place. It's going to be sprinkled there and even on the altar of incense that's inside the holy place. And then all the rest of his blood is going to be poured out on the burnt offering altar, the burnt altar that is just as you come into the tabernacle. It's the first thing you see when you come in. It's the big one there where they're offering all these sacrifices and all that blood is going to be poured out there. You have to get personally involved, and that blood has to get spilt out on the ground. And it has to be poured out. Why would God have us do that? <clears throat> well, because He said the life is in the blood. Go do your own uh, research on this. It's fascinating how that literally the name of God... The sequence is in our DNA. The yod heh vav heh sequence is in our DNA. He made us after His own image, which meant to be a mirror of Him, a reflection of Him. And if you remember the Cain and Abel story, He comes to Cain, what'd you do? Your brother's what? Blood is screaming out to me from the earth. And that connection, you're about to see that again here in a minute, that's, it's mind-boggling. The ramifications of sin are so far greater than I believe what any of us here in this room are even beginning to imagine. It's, it's, it's bigger than just getting caught doing something and you get a spanking, in other words. That's how we think in the Western world, right? You do something wrong, you pay the price. You drive too fast down the highway, you pay the ticket. And what's even worse than paying the ticket is everybody seeing you on the side of the road with the flashing lights. 
Yeah, you're, you're that guy, right? You'd rather just pay the ticket and nobody know, right? Just send it to me in the mail. Don't make me sit here on the side of the road with the lights flashing and my friends driving by. That's Paul's truck, you know. <laughs> What'd you do? <clears throat> um, sin has more ramifications than that, than just you did something wrong, now we got to fix it. It's bigger than that. But I wanted you to see that the blood is poured out and that we have to get personally involved. Now, if you look into the New Testament, in Matthew 26, starting with verse 26 and 28, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks... When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Some of your versions might say shed. The idea there is that the blood was going to be poured out. And poured out, why? For the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the covenant. This goes all the way back to the covenant that Israel made with God. And then God also said, you're going to break the covenant, but I'm going to renew it with you. And when I renew it, I'm going to write it on your hearts. It's not going to be a different covenant. The only thing that's different about it is where I'm going to write it. I'm not going to write it in stone the next time. The next time I'm going to write it on your hearts, which is what he's already done. Amen. Isn't that cool? So Jesus, while he's having this last supper, if you will, and he's doing this, he's saying, This is something these men had seen. When he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins for many, they immediately had a picture. They grew up with this. They had either done this themselves or they had seen their father or somebody involved in a sin offering and getting some things right. And this was going on all the time. This was massive. They had a picture in their mind when he said this. They knew what he was talking about. When he said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Now we've turned it into this little wafer and this little cup. He's saying, look, my blood's going to be poured out. It's going to be poured out, watch this, on the ground. That's why he had them poured out on the ground in front of the burnt offering altar. You poured out and you poured out on the ground just like Abel's blood was on the ground. The first murder, this next murder of the Messiah, his blood's going to be poured out on the ground, and it's going to what? Cry out to the Father. It's going to bring about our forgiveness. Let's move on. So if you turn the page, I want you to see something also in this as far as these sacrifices and what God is really after. Do we really think that God needs a bunch of dead bulls and goats and sheep and stuff that he just really likes? Innocent animals dying. No. When you go to Hosea 6, chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 6, he says right here what the issue really is and what he's been after all along. For I delight in kindness and not slaughtering, and in the knowledge of Elohim more than burnt offerings. It's a heart issue, folks. It's always been a heart issue. 
He's always been after our heart. But we've got to remember, he's going to dwell on earth with the Israelites, and he's going to do that in a land where there are people there that have done abominations that are unbelievable. Uh, And so it becomes extremely important that these sacrifices are done and done properly because the creator of the universe is going to be residing on a piece of dirt where other fallen angels have been doing their stuff. And he needs it clean. He's not going to live in a dirty house. He wants it clean. Uh, So it it is a heart issue. And what is he after? Kindness and those for, for us to have a knowledge of him and love him with all our heart. If you go on to Hebrews chapter 13, this is where you'll start to see Hebrews start to make a little bit more sense even. <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 16, he says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. He's going back to the tabernacle. He says, We have an altar. They're, they're not eating of this food. It's different. For the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the approach he endured. Let's bear the same approach that he he bore. (coughs) Reproach, sorry. In verse 14, it says, For here we have no lasting city. It's passing away. Rebuilding it all the time. It's just under a state of decay. It says, But we seek the city that is to come. What city would that be? The New Jerusalem, right? Through Him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. There it is. That is the fruit of the lips. Look at this. The knowledge of His name. It's not Elohim. It's not Adonai. It's not Hashem. It's not God. Those are all titles. If you're uncomfortable with trying to pronounce His name, you can just say, well, it's the yod heh vav That's the four Hebrew letters. I believe it is pronounced Yahovah. That's a whole nother topic. <clears throat> but it says that acknowledge His name. Why is that important? Because He's different than all the other gods. It says, <clears throat> then in verse 16 it says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What is it that He wants? He wants us to be nice and kind, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. To be loving, good, and kind, and acknowledge that He is God. It really is that simple. Your Bible hangs on those two, those two commandments. It hinges on them. <coughs> Again in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You see, there it is. How are we drawing near? A true heart. An honest heart. He's after the heart. How did the heart get true and honest and a clear conscience? Because God sprinkled on our heart the blood of Yeshua. He purified it with His own blood. In the same way that God purified the sacred space with the blood of the animals. He's going to say, He's going to what? He's going to cleanse this sacred space. The tabernacle that He's now in through the Spirit in us by cleansing us by the blood of His Son. <clears throat> with our hearts sprinkled clean, clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's talking about us physically being the very temple of God now. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. It's got nothing to do with your faithfulness. It's got everything to do with his faithfulness. Are you seeing the connection here? He's after our heart. The temple's not there now. The sacrificial system is not in place now. God is dwelling within us now. Are you seeing that? And he's been gone how long? Two thousand years thereabout, which is also two days. So he has spent the last two days trying to get us to understand. I'm after your heart, but there's still a proper way to come before me. After I've touched the heart, you still don't come to before me any way you want to. This is where I believe we in our Christian doctrine have really messed things up because, well, we get saved, go to church or whatever, and then we just keep barging into the throne room of God. Hey, I got a problem, fix it. Hey, I got a problem, fix it. Hey, I got a problem, fix it. And oh, by the way, praise you for fixing that problem last week, but hey, I got another problem, can you fix it? Right? Instead of remembering, we're talking to a holy God for crying out loud. We need to remember that. We need to be conscious of that, who we are talking to. Does he want us to talk to him? Sure he does. Does he want us to bring our troubles to him? Of course he does. But to just like, oh, by the way, God, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? How our lives would change if we just spent more time praising him. <clears throat> you jump down to Psalm 51, and I want you to see something here about sacrifices. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. It says, For I, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. This is obviously David saying this. Do you know the circumstances around it? He had just been caught with the sin of Bathsheba. This is when he cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and remove any wickedness within my heart. And he's crying out to God. And this is when he says, Man, you don't delight in burnt offerings or dude, man, I would, I'd pay it. 
I know what you want, God. This is David, who was a man after God's own heart, knew God. And he's like, I know you really don't need or want me to send you a dead animal for what I've done. I know what you're after is you want my heart. You want me back like I was when I was a boy watching sheep. Creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Because God, the sacrifices that you want are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. And man, I've got it. Did God forgive him? Yes. But did he pay a price for that sin? Yes. What happened? The son dies. The sword never left King David's family after that. As a matter of fact, God said, what you did in secret, I am now going to do to you in public. And the sword never left his family. His own son had sex with his concubines on the porch to show everybody I've superseded my dad. And it got worse. Then he has King Solomon by him and Bathsheba. Oh, he was a great guy. Nutcase. You have to do some studies on Solomon. Everybody talk about the wisdom of Solomon. He had idols in the temple. And it gets worse. And then the kingdom gets divided because of his kid. It just goes downhill. And yet all we want to talk about is the great wisdom of Solomon. For somebody that was so wise, he was real dumb. Uh, <clears throat> so David gets caught in his sin, and he says, look, I know it's not about sacrifices. You see, the reason I'm really trying to beat this into us a little bit tonight, we've been told, you know, those people, those Jews, here's how they got saved through the sacrifices, but we got saved through Jesus. Wrong. You're not going to read in here where God saved people and brought them into the kingdom for eternity through sacrifices of animals. What he did was he forgave that sin and cleansed the space. You tracking with me when I say that? There's a massive difference between that and all of your sins are forgiven now come into eternal peace. <clears throat> You don't find it. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews, there's the great chapter 11, the great faith chapter. What is it describing there? All these Old Testament saints that were saved. How? Through faith. It's always been through faith, and it's always been a heart issue. So what's the deal with the sacrifices? Well, they were necessary. Because God was going to dwell with His people in physical form, some, some kind of physical form. The people were going to come into his house. Take your shoes off before you come in here. Leave that junk out there. You know, don't bring that sheep stuff in my house. <laughs> you know, no. Uh, and when you get stuff on you, you need to get it off of you before you come in here. We're going to get into that. <clears throat> so in Hebrews, again, uh, let, um, uh, yeah, Hebrews still in chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For it is impossible for the bull, blood of bulls and goats to 
take away sins. The author of the book of Hebrews understood this. The sacrifices were necessary, but they were not They weren't able to take away anybody's sins. They couldn't take it away and cleanse your heart. It wasn't wasn't even for that purpose. It wasn't made for that. Before Moses, there were people already doing sacrifices. Cain and Abel brought sacrifices. Adam Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Noah. Matter of fact, there's about eight or so different times you'll find in the Old Testament before the time of Moses and the giving of the Levitical law that people were offering sacrifices to God. They were usually doing that out of praise to Him and thankfulness to Him. Sacrifices have always been around, but it didn't mean it got anybody saved, ever. But Jesus did fulfill all of the prophetic implications of all those sacrifices. And we've talked about that. If you weren't around here then, in God's own law, which we'll get to, He considered Israel His bride. Israel sinned and joined herself with all these other false gods. So God issued her a certificate of divorce. He says so. In His own law, He says, when you divorce your wife that's been unfaithful, and you give her a certificate of divorce, you can't remarry her. Then He says, it will defile the land. That's not in your notes. That one just came to me. But that's what it says. You can't do that because it will defile the land. No, not, it can't happen. And that divorce decree is in effect as long as the husband or the wife is alive. But God said He was going to divorce Israel, but He's going to remarry her. How do you do that? You release her from the divorce decree. I.e., Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the bride releasing her from the certificate of divorce so that he can remarry her at the ultimate Feast of Tabernacles. Can I get a hallelujah from somebody? That's awesome, isn't it? Let's go on before I run out of time. In Leviticus 18, now you're going to see a couple more themes, and I'm jumping ahead, we'll get there, but you're going to see a couple more themes, and this is important in understanding these sacrifices, these feasts, and everything else. In Leviticus 18, verses 24 through 30, it's, listen to what he says here. There's at least these two uh, themes in here. One of them is the reality of sin and, and God wanting us to draw near to Him. In verse 24, it says, do not, make, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these things the nations I'm driving out before you have become unclean. Look at this. And the land became unclean. I underlined that and highlighted it for you. Look at this. So that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. Would that include any of us Gentiles that have been grafted into Israel, according to Romans chapter 11? course it would. 
Verse 27, for the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations, look at this, so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean by doing these things. As it vomited out the nation that was before you, for everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominations and any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am Yahovah your Elohim. Do you see that? He says, look, when you do these other things, what you don't understand is that you are turning the dirt you're, you're standing on into a cesspool. Can I get an uh-oh from somebody? Now, you have to start now. Let's kind of connect some dots. When we're saved by Yeshua, we're saved, amen? But can we still sin? Yes, we can. That sin is having bigger ramifications than you think. It's contaminating your environment. The stuff you're... A lot of people get into this with, you know, the, if you will, the charismatic movement, and, 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 I, and a lot of this is, is they're right. I just don't know if everybody is really connecting some of these dots on how this is really connected. When we speak out this venom garbage that's of the devil, it's that law of return, and what you sow, you will reap. Uh, that junk is contaminating the very air you're breathing, the very space you're in, and you're inviting other beings to be around that are contaminating the very dirt you're standing on. This is real, folks. This is not just a metaphor. There is stuff going on in the other realm that's impacting this physical world that we can't wrap our brains around because we're just sheep. So when you're looking at that garbage on the internet, you're contaminating not only your brain, but the computer you're using and the chair you're sitting on. When, when you're doing whatever it is you're doing that you think nobody sees and nobody knows, you're contaminating the dirt you're walking on. And then we wonder, where's God? Uh-oh. I'm trying to show you how he's saying, look, these sacrifices are to cleanse this dirt because I'm going to come and stand on it. And that means I need it clean. Especially this area. Because I'm not going to go out here where there's this other junk until I clean it. And when I clean it, I'm going to clean it with fire. 
Nadab and Abihu bring strange fire. God goes, mm, I don't think so. Not happening. Um, this is still a reality for us people. And we wonder why we can't shake this junk. It's because we keep inviting, we're walking in a cesspool. We think we're swimming in a clean swimming pool, for crying out loud. And don't even realize it's a cesspool. We need to clean it up. We want God to be around us. We've got to clean it up. It's a lot more than saying, gee, God, I'm sorry. You know, okay. Stop putting dirt, stop putting this contamination in here. You see why this is important? Why it's important to confess our sins to God and to each other to get things clean and right? Amen? Mm. I got a little note for you there that I took out of this book that I've got called Walk, Leviticus. Uh, You just read that for yourself and try to do some more study on that. Um, he's warning them, when you go into the land, you don't do what they did because what they did contaminated the land and I'm going to use you to purge them out and then you're going to live according to my system and in the perfect world, living according to that system will cleanse the land and the area. What did they do? Invited it in. And when they invited it in, God went, oh, you just don't get it, do you? We still don't get it. And we keep doing it because we think, oh, I've been saved by Jesus. All i got to do is say I'm sorry, and we can just keep going on. Well, kind of. <laughs> you st- you got to stop dumping your trash on the plate you're eating out of. I don't know how else to describe this. When we're sinning, that's what we're doing, and we're contaminating our environment, and we just can't figure out why we can't get ahead or get closer to God. Why the Bible doesn't make any sense. And the list goes on and on and on. Why you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. Well, it could be because you're sleeping in a cesspool. And he's like, clean it up. Get out of there. Stop this. Come before me. Confess this. Stop doing this junk because it's... You smell like sheep. You stink. You don't want to smell like a pig? Don't wallow around with the pigs. It's just that simple. Let's go on. In Leviticus chapter 11, okay, so there's this consequence of sin in Leviticus about, and these sacrifices, how it cleanses the land and the dirt and the space is what I'm trying to get you to see. The next one is, and you're going to see this a lot, in Leviticus 11 verse 44 through 45, for I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore And be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am Yahovah, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your Elohim. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. It's this whole idea of being holy. We also need to wrap our brains around this. Being holy means set apart. It's just, it's that simple. It doesn't mean that you become God or a preacher or, I don't know, that you levitate or whatever weird idea you have in your head about being holy. Being holy means set apart. 
I think Sonia was telling me that somebody said once that <clears throat> you, you can have a set of dishes that are set apart to you. It, you only use them for a special occasion or they were, they were your mom's, then she's deceased and now they're, you know, and they're special to you. But that doesn't mean that they're special to me, that they're, they're just special to you and holy to you or set apart to you. Well, God says, I'm set apart. I'm holy, set apart from all the other gods. You are now my people, therefore you be set apart from all the other nations that are contaminated with the other gods because you're my people, so be set apart like I'm set apart. It's really that simple. Does that make more sense when it says, you be holy because I'm holy? We kind of lose track of that because we got these weird ideas and we think that the word holiness means, I don't know, that you pray 18 hours a day and, you know, memorize the Bible and whatever it is that you have in your head when you think of holy, holiness means set apart, sanctified for something special. Let's go on and look at all these places in here. In Leviticus 19, verse 2, it says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am Yahovah, your God, am holy. In Leviticus 20, verses 7 and 8, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am Yahovah, your Elohim. Keep my statutes and do them. I am Yahovah who sanctifies you. It is okay that I read that in there because the word Lord is not a title and it's not in the original text. Uh, Leviticus 20, verse 26. You shall be holy to me, set apart to me, in other words. For I, Yahovah, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Does this now start to make more sense when he just says it over and over? It's amazing what we could learn from our Bible if we would what? Just read it. If we would just read our Bible, it's right there in front of us. The next one, <clears throat> look at this in Leviticus 21, verse 6. Now you're going to see something else here about being holy. It says, they shall be holy to their God, their Elohim, and look at this, and not profane the name of their God. Wow. There's no way I think most of us in this room really comprehend how massive that statement is. It is massive. God is saying, look, when you call yourself by my name, you call yourself my people, and then you don't act like that, then you are making my name profane, and the word profane means common, meaning just the same as all the other gods. You turned me into another fallen watcher. You t to put it on terms we all understand, you, you called me Satan. You said I'm just like Satan and any of his minions. Wow. So he's saying <clears throat> they are to be holy. They are to be holy to me. And in that process, they are not to profane my name. Wow. For they offer the Lord's food offering, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. Again in Leviticus 21 verse 8, it says, You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, set apart to you, for I, Yahovah, who sanctify you, am holy. I think it's pretty obvious that the issue of being holy is important in the book of Leviticus. Holy means set apart, means, watch this, different. 
can you tell Christians from non-Christians in the United States today? I got a chuckle. We have 40,000 plus different Christian denominations today in the world. That's not churches, that's denominations. Because we can't agree on what it simply says. If you want to find a church that will tell you it's okay to do whatever it is that you want to do, you can find it. Guaranteed. You want to find a church that tells you that technology is of the devil? It's out there. You want to find a church that will tell you that you need to embrace technology at all costs? It's out there. You want to find a church that will tell you uh, that you can't wear makeup? It's out there. You want to find a church to tell you, please put on some makeup? It's out there. You want to find a church that will tell you it's okay to drink? It's out there. You want to find a church to tell you alcohol is of the devil? It's out there. I, I could go on and on. If, it's like window shopping. If you don't like what you're hearing, trust me, you can drive five minutes and find anything you want to find. Anything. Because what you're going to get are sermon sound bites instead of just exegetically going through the passage and this is what the Bible says and let the Bible interpret itself. And in here, what we're finding is he's telling us we need to be set apart and different. Folks, that means the way you talk, the way you drive, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your boss, the way you treat that irritating person at work. Oh my gosh, if I have to listen to that one more time. Yes, that person. I mean, stop honking your horn on 635. They're having a bad day just like you. It means we're to be good, godly, holy, set apart, loving people. The way we dress, the way we act, ladies, it's called modesty. Men, it's also called modesty. It's also called taming your tongue. The list goes on and on. We should be different and set apart. That takes some practice, amen? That's why we need community. How many times have you failed out there flying on your own? Right? <clears throat> but we need community, and we need to be encouraged by each other because we're not all strong on the same day. So we all need to be lifted up from time to time, amen? And this is what he's saying. This is the process for you to be holy. By my word, when you come before me, you do it my way, not your way. When you mix your way with my way, you profane my name and you dirty the soil I'm trying to walk on. There's a physical reality of stuff that's going on that you don't understand and can't comprehend, but it's real. You may have stuff in your house that's connected to something wrong or demonic or whatever, and I'm going to tell you, you need to get rid of it. It will impact the way you feel. You ever walked into a room or a house or around somebody and you go, ooh. You just get that buzz, whether it's good or bad. I mean, you get to that bad like something's not right. Can any, anybody testify that you've, you've had that happen? That's real, folks. That's not just your feelings. That's something that's real. And children... Their brains aren't really messed up enough yet. They can sense it better than us old folk. 
You need to pay attention. Well, that was another sermon that flew through my head. <clears throat> I want you to see something else here. Wow. Man, it's amazing how time flies when you're having fun. Um, so it's this idea of being holy. I want to show you something else that's in your Bible. And I've mentioned this before, but now it's on some notes, and we put it together, and we perforate it for you. So if you want to keep... The, the, this one that I'm about to show you is extremely important for you to understand some things about the end times. It goes back to the sacrifices, goes back to the temple and everything else, and I want you to see something absolutely amazing. It's found in the book of Ezekiel. Chapters 43 and following, <clears throat> we know for sure when you read this and you read your Bible in, read it in context, you'll, you know that what he's describing here are visions that Ezekiel is seeing about the end of time after literally this tribulation period when God's going to culminate everything, and He's describing a temple. Imagine that. So there's no doubt in this prophecy of what we're really talking about. And I want you to see this because I laid it out for you a little bit, and you're going to see this thing again. In Ezekiel 43, verses 6 through 8, it says, While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place... Were the soles for the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of it. Do you see that again? You, you see this whole thing about the temple and the ground and the dirt and all that? Okay. <clears throat> the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever, and the house of Israel, look at this, shall no more defile my name. Wow. Neither they nor their kings by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by their setting their threshold by my threshold, their doorpost by my doorpost with only a wall between me and them. What's it describing there? It's describing mixing religions and putting their false religions and sacrifices and everything right up against the temple of God itself. All right. Uh, and it says, uh, between me and them, they have defiled my holy name by their abominations they have committed, so I have consumed them in my anger. God is telling Ezekiel what has happened to the house of Israel is because they have mixed this, these other religions, these other pagan activities with worship of me, and through that process they have profaned my name, so I have consumed them in my anger. I just want you to see that because he's mapping everything out for the prophet Ezekiel. You jump to chapter 44. Now he's talking about these Levitical priests. It says, The sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. Now, this is talking about this millennial kingdom. Man, there's so much here. Uh, number one, what I want you to see is there's going to be sacrifices in this next temple. In the millennial kingdom. With Jesus reigning and ruling on the earth. So there's going to be sacrifices again. Why? Jesus, Yeshua, is going to return to the earth. He's going to dwell here physically in a glorified body. People are going to be required to come there and keep the feasts and the Sabbaths and the new moons and all this stuff. And he's going to say, this space is going to be clean. You're not bringing any of that junk in my house. The same thing is going to happen again. 
But I, what else I want you to see here, because he says, there were other Levites that were supposed to be in charge of this, but they didn't do what they were supposed to. So watch this. 3,000 years later, God goes, you know, I remember what you guys were supposed to be doing with my people. So you know what? In the millennial kingdom, you're fired. Sorry. Now these sons of Zadok, they're the ones that they didn't, they did what was right. So I'm going to let them serve me during this millennial kingdom. He remembers is what, I'm, what you need to see here. Let's go on. In Ezekiel 45, still talking about the temple, still talking about all these things that's going to be going on in the millennial kingdom that's in the future from today. It shall be the prince. Now, the prince here is talking about the high priest in that temple. The prince's duty to furnish the burnt offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings at the feast, the new moons and the Sabbaths, all the appointed feasts of the house of Israel. He shall provide the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. You're going to see something here. Thus says the Lord God in the first month, the first day of the month, you shall take a bull from the herd. There it is again, without blemish. Look at this and purify what? Purify the sanctuary. He says it. You don't have to make this stuff up. It's just right there. We would just read our Bibles. You're going to purify the sanctuary. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering port and put it on the doorpost of the temple and on the four corners of the ledge of the altar and the posts of the gate of the inner court. You shall do the same on the seventh day of the month for anyone who has sinned throughout, through error or arrogance or ignorance. So you shall make atonement for the temple. Wow. He's saying, keep my house clean. I need the dirt clean. There's not going to be any of that other junk in my house. So I want you to see that. And I also want you to see, what did it say? So there's going to be what? We're going to offer grain offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. And we're going to worship God on the new moon and the Sabbaths. Huh. You see, that's why we get to practice. Because God's already called us out to start practicing because tomorrow's not the Sabbath. Today is. Uh, and there's all this new moon thing. You see, we're not going to operate on man's calendar. Remember when Zach took us through that? He said, you know, God put the sun and the moon and the stars and he tells us why in Genesis. He put them in the heavens. Why? for signs and seasons. That's God's clock. This is when you meet with me. You can come up with your own system if you want, but he's got his own clock. He goes, you're going to operate on my clock, not your clock. <clears throat> Let's go down to this last one here. It says, uh, and now this is in, in Ezekiel 46. The people of the land shall bow down at the entrance of the gate before the Lord, on the Sabbaths and the new moon. The burnt offering that the prince offers to the Lord on the Sabbath day shall be six lambs without blemish and a ram without blemish. And the grain offering with the ram shall be an ephah. And the grain offering with the lamb shall be as much as he is able, together with a hen of oil to each an ephah. On the, <clears throat> on the day of the new moon, he shall offer a bull from the herd without blemish and six lambs, a ram, which shall be without blemish. Two things here I want you to see. 
once again, he says, what? We're going to do this on the new moons and the Sabbaths. And people are going to bow down and worship God. You got to try to wrap your brain around this. Let's talk about the millennial kingdom for crying out loud. We got resurrected saints running around ruling with God for a thousand years. That's weird all in and of itself, isn't it? Then we got Jesus ruling and reigning in Jerusalem for a thousand years. But there's going to be sacrifices. And he's specific on exactly how many and what gets added with it, how much oil, how much flour, how much stuff for a thousand years. You see, just because you're saved, just because maybe you get resurrected and you're reigning and ruling with Jesus in the millennial kingdom for a thousand years, still does not mean you get to come to God any way you want to. Maybe that changed our perspective on our Bible a little bit and the way we're worshiping our God and our King. He's not some guy up there just giving you candy. He's God, the creator of the universe. And he's invited us in this epic battle to prove to the world and the other fallen deities that he and he alone is God. And part of that is connected to this whole sacrificial system that Yeshua fulfilled. But when he fulfilled it, watch this, he obviously didn't do away with it, right? It's only suspended now because he's not physically here now, right? But he will be in the millennial kingdom. Therefore, it will be needed again during that time because people will still be able to sin, at the end of the millennial kingdom, Satan is released. All the people in the world that are tired of this Jesus stuff, and there will be plenty, will mass with the devil, and the devil tries one last attack against Yeshua, and he just simply speaks and consumes them, and it's done. After that time, there won't be any more sacrifices. Why? He will finally be done with all sin and shame and guilt and death and everything. And we will be reigning and ruling with him. Everything. We're going to be back in the garden. There won't be any more sacrifices. It'll all finally be completely fixed. You tracking with that? So when people tell you, well, you know, Jesus died on the cross, therefore all those sacrifices aren't needed. Why are you even studying Leviticus? Because it's powerful. And therefore, when Israel starts the sacrifices again, you're not going to be as freaked out, are you? Because you're going to go, well, that's just kind of getting ready and he's coming. And so, okay, let's just see how all this kind of works out. And don't get into the political stuff and why are they doing it and are they doing it right and should they be doing it yet i think the best attitude when that happens is just zip it and wait just keep your mouth shut watch god do what god is going to do amen the book of leviticus is powerful as you can see we're going to keep marching through here we're going to see a lot of powerful things
But for us today, think about this. We're saved. Those of us that know Yeshua, I hope everybody in here does. If you don't, I would love to talk to you about that. It's about a relationship. It's not about religion. Amen? God don't need any religion. He's after a relationship. Um, But um, we still make a lot of mistakes and sin. Amen? And I'm going to guess that there's plenty of us in here that probably ought to clean house a little bit. There might be some stuff you need to get rid of. There might be some stuff you need to take a hammer to. And I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. That you might need to take a hammer to it. Well, that thing cost me $1,000. I don't care. What's peace work, walking with your God worth? I've had stuff in my life I had to take a hammer to before. <clears throat> um, bad things get connected to stuff. You call it bad karma, I don't care what you call it. Demonic stuff, whatever, can literally get attached to things. And some things you need to really pray over, anoint with oil, whatever. Pray it out, pray it, pray get released from it, whatever it is. <clears throat> Might be some things you want to change in, in your house or your home or your car, your driving habits. You know what? If you're driving down the highway, this just kind of come to me. You're driving down the highway and there's some sign that's causing you bad thoughts. I would tell you, pick a different route. I don't care if you have to give up 30 minutes earlier to get yourself to work. Pick a different route. I'm serious. You know what it is. You know what it is that's tripping you up. And whatever that is, it's defiling the dirt and the air you're breathing. Right? Why would we want to keep eating that garbage? I got a septic system. Anybody here got a septic system? Ooh, man, when that thing kicks on, you're like, man, that smells real good. <laughs> you can always tell when somebody's neighbor's septic system comes on. Uh, it looks clean. They tell you you can drink that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even want it getting on me. I'm out there in the tractor, you know, I'm mowing, doing whatever, and that thing kicks on. I'm throwing that thing in high gear. Come on, don't get me, don't get me, don't get You know, right? Would you really want to drink that? Spiritually, it's like that's what we do all the time. It's like God looking at us going, why do you want to drink that? What, what are you doing? You keep, Really? No, get rid of that stuff. Sanctify yourself. Be holy. Be set apart. Get rid of that junk. Stop inviting the devil and everything else in your life. Stop bringing it in there. If you don't want your house to smell like a barn, quit bringing the animals in the house. It's really just that simple, right? Some of us here probably just need some prayer over that stuff. I'm going to go ahead and tell you... um, I had a stark realization, and I'm going to have some people pray over me soon about this. 
just this week. And I think it's just a word curse and stuff from my dad. I really do. Because I thought, I don't know why I get, I get scared of this, this stuff. This is crazy. I used to look at my dad and go, that doesn't make any sense. What, I don't even know what you're talking about. That doesn't make any sense, Dad. And I find myself doing the exact same thing. And it hinders me and holds me back. And I was walking across my field, and I just went, I'm not doing that anymore. That's ridiculous. And I spun around and went, oh, my gosh, my dad. And he had the same thing. That's, there's a connection. I want that garbage. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I want that crap off of me. Amen? And I guarantee you there's, I'm not the only one. But I think God revealed that to me. And, and to a certain degree, I got some deliverance from it just by the knowledge of knowing that it was there. But it still can stick its ugly head up. And so uh, I, want us to, I want to be holy. I want to be set apart. Amen? And I know that you do too. Well, the way that happens is we stop inviting the junk into our lives. We stop doing those things. We purify our lives. And we walk according to God's standards. It's just that simple. Now watch this. When you do that, the freedom is unbelievable. Uh, it's, it's, it's massive. You just go, people want to call this bondage, walking in God's laws, His teachings and instruction. That's why God says it's freedom. It'll set you free. That's why it says if the Son has set you free, you'll be free indeed. That's what it's talking about. Walking in my ways, I'm going to set you free from all this junk that's hanging on you that you can't even see that's weighing you down and causing you to do things you wouldn't normally do. I want to set you free from all that stuff and I want to keep you clean so it doesn't keep attacking you. All you got to do is read what I told you. <laughs> it's pretty much that simple. But we keep holding on to sermon sound bites and it's just it's weird and it's not what the Bible says. Man, God loves you. He loves you so much. He sent His Son to die on the cross for you to set you free. Hallelujah. Isn't that cool?